All right, so let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Holy Spirit we may be truly wise and ever enjoy his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. So I'm going to recap last week a little bit. Uh, this week we're doing Vince Sagala. And um, we're, we're kind of just devoting the whole time to him this week because he's just got such a deep, beautiful, um, I don't know, he's just got an amazing testimony. And it's my favorite one in the whole book because it has so much, um, he's kind of a mystic and he, it's got so much mysticism in it. It's got so much depth to it. He's a very real person, um, and I think people can just relate to him. I know I can. And then he has these transformative experiences that witness to the power of God and uh, the love of God so, so beautifully. So I'm just excited that um, you guys are here and that we get to talk about Vince because it's definitely the powerful one, I think, in the book. So Vince Sagala, uh, he's an American. He grew up in uh, California. And as a young kid, his uh, father was his hero, but um, his father took a turn towards drug use, addiction, anger, and um, just somewhere along the road that things changed. So he had a pretty happy family, and then all of a sudden things just start falling apart. Um, his dad ends up addicted to heroin and is in and out of jail. He's a, abusive, and his um, mom divorces Vince's dad while he's in prison um, because she seriously thought he might even kill her if she didn't do it then. So um, about a year after he went uh, to jail, he was out already. And he writes Vince a letter saying that he's going to um, come for Christmas. Uh, and and Vince was pretty excited about that. He waited. And, um, of course, his dad never shows up. And so the hurt and the pain of just his dad repeatedly not being there for him was really uh, a cause of pain in his life. His mom worked two jobs the majority of his childhood. Vince grew angrier and angrier. And by the fourth grade, um, he had been in the care of many babysitters. And most of them had molested him at this point. Um, his first mystical experience happened the Christmas after his father uh, didn't show up. Where he sees, um, as they are going out of the church, he is shaking the priest's hand and he sees this beautiful uh it looks like it's got diamonds and water it's just this orb of light and all he can describe it as is the glory of god and um so this is his first mystical experience where he's seeing this glory manifest behind this priest who he knew to be a very pious very wonderful priest 
the next year, his mom made the best decision of her life for Vince and his brothers and transferred them to um, Catholic school. At this point in his life, he started to enjoy school more and he gets a little bit older, a little bit more mature. He starts really loving girls and he's under this divine understanding that he's just going to marry a girl that goes to his school and has the same letters uh, in his name as hers and that their firstborn child would be a son. He just mystically kind of is um, given this knowledge about his life. He starts attending a youth group and that changes his life and opens his heart. And he finally figures out that there's somebody who he can pour his heart out and his, and, um, his wounds to God. Um, and he feels close to God in that way. He was in this youth group for many years, and it definitely changed his relationship with the Lord and other people. His anger started to subside a little bit. And by eighth grade, uh, he was an older kid in the youth group, and he is ministering to the younger kids who are kind of entering into the youth group at this point. When one of their last meetings, a little fourth grader shows up, and she's this beautiful little girl. He walks up to her and says, you're really beautiful, and I wish you were a little older. I would probably ask you out. Little did he know he was introducing himself to his future wife, whose name was Heather, and so the same number of letters as Vincent. He's very girl crazy in in this time in his life, and so he, seeking advice from his youth group leader on which girl out of these two girls he likes to um to go out with and uh, so she gives him the advice that he should get off the phone read the bible and see what god says and god does reveal a message to him but it's not one that he thought he was looking for but it's one that sets the precedent and the theme of god's hand in his entire life from that moment on and so uh, he reads isaiah 48 and he starts to feel this call from the Lord. And Isaiah 48 is very much about the Lord is going to reveal things to you that you have no reason of knowing them. And um, you're going to be an instrument of God, essentially. So um, God starts to reveal that much later on in, in Vince's life. But at this point, he's just sure that he has a calling to proclaim the gospel and God to everybody around him. He goes to school the next day. He's proclaiming the gospel to all of his friends, and he quickly loses uh, traction in popularity. So he goes from being one of the cool kids to showing up Bible thumping one day, and it just confuses everybody, and he loses quite a few friends. He even loses a young lady that he decided to start a relationship with, and that really, really hurt him. That hurt his heart a lot because of the rejection that he felt from his dad at a young age. And he talks about how he even used this young relationship, and it, and it turned into his idol. He was so obsessive about her conversion and her soul that it actually turns her away. And the pain of his dad, he's just reliving it all over again. So. He's going to a priest after that by the uh, advice of his former youth counselor, and she tells him to seek counseling with a priest. He's with the priest only a few visits when 
one day the the priest inappropriately touches him on his leg and so he he goes back home he tells his mom about it and the priest has enough gall to actually call his mom and ask him if uh if vince can come to a cabin with him that weekend and needless to say this drove a wedge between vince and the church he just he sort of lost it after that he started to really fall away from god and mistrust people and you can understand why he turns angrier and football becomes this outlet that um he can be violent with people and get that that anger out he's kicked out of private school eventually because he's caused so many fights and once he gets into the public school sector he starts uh fighting more and he actually uh hits rock bottom he starts getting into drugs um fornicating often he's in a rock band and he um he beats a kid severely one day for almost no reason he he explains it as just simply someone to to get an outlet for my anger and and that person just happened to be the outlet for my anger he starts thinking that maybe he needs to back off a little bit change the way he's doing things because it did scare him how close he came to really beating that that kid uh that day he starts a relationship with this woman and they're best friends for a few years and then suddenly they decide to get into a relationship and they move in together and that is his future wife and she's pregnant so they decide to get married um but this uh short sort of shotgun marriage really started um causing a lot of strife between the two of them and really they didn't have any god uh in their relationship it was all about going to work making the money and taking care of baby and so vince grows very depressed uh depressed and suicidal in his 30s it's at one point that his wife hands him a book and says you really need to think about your son and and me and you need to think about more than yourself so she gives him the purpose of a driven life um and so that starts him back on this road where he thinks you know maybe i do need to um make god a part of my life again so he calls his old youth group counselor who is a big influence in his life and she advises him to start seeing a priest named father jim So he's visiting Father Jim for quite a few months and he's starting to go to the Eucharist, go to adoration, receive the Eucharist and go to confession almost every day on a daily basis. And this starts to really change his heart and Father Jim is encouraging him the whole way to forgive people of his past, forgive the babysitters who molested him forgive uh his father and he actually does end up making a phone call to his father and forgiving him which was a very painful experience but very liberating he has this complete conversion back to the church and that's when things start to happen so mystically he starts to be reminded that he has this gift from god and so I wanted to just read page 89 for you guys again cuz I did last week but his mystical experiences are just so rich that it's hard to um paraphrase them so 
on page 89 if you have the physical book. The first vision happened when I was sitting on our living room couch one evening. Suddenly, I found myself in the midst of a large crowd of people. They were all yelling loudly amidst a lot of angry pushing and shoving. But for a few who were weeping, mostly women, I could not understand the language they were speaking and felt both surprised and disconcerted. For no other reason than I found myself there in the blink of an eye by no will of my own. The people were dressed in what appeared to be Middle Eastern attire, and the road on which we stood was paved by hand and cobblestone. No sooner was I able to orient myself when I caught glimpses of a certain man through the crowd. All my attention was on him. All anybody's attention was on him. As he slowly made his way toward me from my right, the pushing, the shoving, and the yelling was increasing to a violent intensity. I could feel my body being pushed back and forth, and I struggled to maintain my balance. The man came so close as to pass in front of me just three people away, and I could make out his hair, which was somewhat long and completely soaked in what looked like to be his own blood. The one-piece garment he wore was filthy and also stained with blood in places. I could see clearly the crown of thorns and the front and left side of his head where the thorns were deeply embedded into his scalp. But it was the swelling of these wounds that drew most of my attention. They were large and purple and filled with blood underneath the skin, disfiguring his brow. A large, heavy beam of wood lay across the back of his shoulders and neck, with his arms tied to it at the elbows and his forearms hanging toward the ground. He was stumbling, barely able to take his next step. As a spectator, I didn't know that this man was the Lord until just after the vision ended. Yet I distinctly remember thinking that I must help him, that I had to do something to help him. No sooner did I take one step forward to reach him through the few people in front of me when another man on my right pushed me out of the way with great force. I stumbled to my left, and as I regained my balance, the man walked up to the Lord at arm's length and threw a large rock about the size of a brick as hard as he could. It crashed into the side of Jesus' head with brutal force. The sound of the impact was gruesome and mixed with a gush of air that released from his mouth and a low gasping moan. As he fell away from me to the ground under the force of the blow, he tried to embrace he tried to brace himself from the fall but couldn't because his arms were tied to the wood. When he landed, his arms crumpled under the weight of his body and the wood with the front of his face taking the brunt of the fall on the stone path. He lay there, rocking from side to side in obvious and unbelievable pain. People then began to kick him in the stomach, the head, and the legs. Oh, how real this vision was. I was there, no differently than I am here on earth now. The vision ended as quickly as it began, and what an enormous price the Lord paid for my sins. Until then, I had never truly understand the sheer brutality of the passion of our Lord, and I shuddered with the realization of how he had felt every strike, every kick, every punch I had ever inflicted on a fellow human being. Heather, my wife, entered the living room, and I walked up to her in tears. She asked me what was wrong, and I collapsed on my knees in front of her, wrapping my arms around her, crying profusely, and all I could say was, He loves us so much, Heather. He just loves us so much. My second vision came about a week later and was just as real as the first. 
This time, whether I wanted it or not, understood it or not, the Lord began to do exactly what he said he would when he first spoke to me through Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48, from now on, I announce new things to you, hidden events you never knew. Now, not from old, they are created. Before time, you did not hear of them, so that you cannot claim I have known them. You never heard, you never knew, they never reached your ears beforehand. In the late morning, I left the house to run a few errands, and suddenly I saw the sky opening and Jesus coming on the clouds of heaven. It was as if the air itself opened to reveal the unseen. The Lord was enormous, and I was made to know that everyone, no matter where they were on earth, would see this. His hands, which still bore the wounds from the nails, were down by his sides and turned outward as though presenting himself. And he was surrounded in great power and glory. White clouds moved with great speed and power and were inflamed with a reddish-orange fire and white lights, small and bright, which I understood to be angels. They darted to and from around him. This experience would seem to bring with it at least some trepidation, but I had no fear. On the contrary, I was filled with a joyous sense of victory, something I have never felt before or since. My triumphant exuberance was so strong that I wanted to leave everything and run to the Lord as fast as my legs could take me. This feeling remained long after the vision ended. So he's starting to have these intense mystical experiences and God is trying to tell him something and he's just getting bits and bits and pieces so it's not making much sense it's not all coming together yet but he's starting to understand that even someone like him could be called for something so great that even someone like him could be a messenger for the Lord and I think it's very beautiful because he never felt that love and that specialness and attention from his father. So now his heavenly father is showing him that he's worth something. He means something. He's essential to this plan. I thought it was very interesting how he says every punch he ever inflicted on another human being, Jesus feels that. Every time we're ever angry or frustrated or impatient with someone, we're doing it to Jesus. And that's very evident in a lot of what Vince has to say. And then he gives us uh, that sort of promise fulfilled in Isaiah 48, where he's getting a preview of this warning experience that all of us are going to encounter one way or another. And so it's very interesting how God is starting to create this tapestry and um, breathe life into the servant that he is creating in Vince. He starts going to mass quite often. It's It sort of becomes part of his life. It's definitely part of his day. Then he is given, unexpectedly, his own illumination of conscience experience, which is on page 91. And so I'm just going to go ahead and read that as well for you guys. Within, within a several... Blah, blah, excuse me. <laughs> Tongue-tied. Within several days of the vision of Jesus in the heavens, my small fear of being crazy would be replaced with a holy fear of God. It happened on April 9, 2003, a day that I awoke very early at 4 a.m., compelled to get out of bed and pray. 
I walked down the hallway of my house, and as I approached the kitchen, I was immediately taken away, and all I know is that the I, who I know myself to be, with all of his hopes, fears, feelings, sights, smells, and touch, was no longer in my hallway. A great flash of blinding white light temporarily impaired my vision, and as my eyes adjusted, I could see before me a round lake of water bearing little resemblance to any on earth. It looked more like a thin slice of crystal, smooth as glass, with the light emanating from beneath its surface. In the center of the lake stood a tree-like fountain, which poured forth multicolored lights, like streams of water. Both the ground around the lake and the sky above it were pure light across the lake. I could see human figures dressed in white robes, too. They were bright, and I couldn't make out much detail due to the immense brilliance of great white light to the right of me in my peripheral vision. This glorious light, like crystal yet alive, was God himself. As I tried to focus on the human figures conversing among themselves, suddenly appearing in front of them was the Lord Jesus Christ. I could clearly see his face, his beard, his hair, and the outline of his ankle-length robe, which glowed with brilliance, tall and strong, with sharp features and white hair, like pristine snow, he looked like a king. Facing forward, he began levitating slowly and purposefully toward the great light that was the Father, and then with his right hand he extended forward, and the back of his right shoulder facing me, he reached into the light, whose brightness obscured my view of his extended arm. When he brought his hand out, he was holding the scroll with seven seals from the book of Revelation, chapter 10. The scroll appeared off-white with a hint of bronze and was about three feet long. Its seals were thick, round, and the color of dark red blood. The, the Lord then faced me and looked directly at me. Immediately, my entire being seized with a tremendous fear of God. Unable to move or breathe, I felt petrified as though I were about to die. His pupils were flames of fire that pierced through the center of my soul. Nothing was hidden from his gaze. All that I had ever done in my life lay absolutely bare before him. In a flash, Jesus began to show me interiorly my past sins and their consequences. I had no control over what was happening to me. I saw every transgression I had knowingly or unknowingly committed. And what I had thought were little things, like yelling at my brother or my mom, weren't little at all. And my sins of omission, actions I should have taken but didn't, which I didn't know were sins at all, struck my heart with tremendous regret and sorrow. And so he goes on to explain just everything in detail that uh, God is revealing to him about how he's lived his life up to this point. And he did, he did just have this conversion back to the church, which allowed all these graces to finally take place. But it's very painful looking at his life and especially the ripple effect, as he describes it, of sin, which is a very constant and recurrent theme in this book. The ripple effect of sin, how we don't realize that everything that we do affects someone else, either in a positive or negative way. Even sins that we think are hidden can have negative effect on people. He starts to see that not only did he live a life in immense anger and even violence toward other people, but his sexual immorality got him into a place where 
he actually didn't see women as people anymore. At one point, he saw them only as objects and very shallow. Um, what he expected out of a woman was really not what you would expect out of a fellow human being. And until he falls in love with his wife, he he realizes that everything that he did to satisfy his selfish desires ruined another person's life in some way. Um, one of his former girlfriends or one night stands became um, a crystal meth addict and unfortunately a prostitute. And then um, another of his, uh, two of his other encounters actually had an abortion because of um, the night that they shared together. So these are really painful things that obviously he's um, privy to in this um, sinful nature that's that's spreading. Um, and he explains quite a few other things, but um, it's just good to see from another perspective, from another person, exactly what the Lord is going to illuminate in us as well. And so Father, after Vince is having these experiences, obviously he's starting to learn that he really does need to, that's where we left off last week. So page 96, he has a, another vision listening to the radio station in his car. Vince has actually shown a mystical experience about the truth of God. And so he's sitting in his car when all of a sudden the glory of God approaches him like crystal. And with every color of the rainbow, it's slowly emanating this long, luminous, translucent out from itself to everything around him. And it exudes this powerful heat, which could consume all things in any moment, but stayed controlled and purposefully did not overwhelm me. And it possessed a quality of purity, not of this world. Within the vision of glory, scenes of moving images, sharp and in full color, began passing before my eyes in slow motion. The Lord was showing me future events concerning a great tribulation in the world, which shook the depths of my soul. Transfixed, I saw a coming world war, a nuclear exchange between world powers, great social unrest, worldwide chaos, people possessed by Satan, future chastisements, mankind by its own actions bringing itself to the very point of extinction. I saw the infiltration of the church by those in league with Lucifer, a massive persecution of the church from within and without, the priests being murdered, churches sacked and burned, and the Eucharist trampled and profaned by soldiers with faces of death. The earth was made desolate and had destruction reigning everywhere. It appeared as if every demon in hell had been unleashed on earth while man unleashed the most terrible weapons on himself. He says, when the vision stopped, turned off the radio and grabbed his Bible, opened to the book of Daniel, and somehow he knew that the things that he was shown in this mystical experience had been scattered throughout the chapters 7 through 12. He sees this luminous strand of golden wheat kind of making this rope and tying together and placing themselves firmly on the Bible as he's opened them. And he gets this um, locution in his in his heart saying totally binding those two words meaning that everything in the vision must happen and there's no way around it no amount of prayer can stop it and it is written it's part of god's plan of purification 
But the Lord gives him this other vision, which he believes is a divine act of God through which the truly faithful are protected. And certainly devastating chastisements are going to happen of divine justice, but he's going to protect quite a few of his remnant. He said, I was suddenly standing in the back of a church. Behind me were two solidly heavy, large wooden doors, and there was no way through this entrance from the outside, no way out from the inside. I was made to know that the doors had been locked by God himself. Outside the doors, there was great confusion, chaos, horror, fear, and death. As I looked toward the altar, a priest was elevating the sacred host. And people were kneeling in the pews and in the aisles, some of their heads touching the ground. Not a sound came from any of them. Only great reverence and silence. When the host had reached its highest elevation, crystal clear water, somewhat thick and with light emanating from within it, flowed out from the sacred host and into the air. This water was alive, and it slowly washed over everyone there. I was then transported at lightning speed to another church somewhere else in the world where all the above happened again, only faster. I sensed that this mass was being held around the world at the same time. The same scene was shown to me repeatedly, only faster each time it happened, and I understood the water from the host to be some type of divine protection from what was happening outside of the sanctuaries. Later, God would show me the victory of God's holy church and his people in the world, preserved and renewed by the spirit of the almighty God through the intercession of the blessed mother after all that was unholy had been removed. As I stood outside on a dirt path, I saw a group of about 50 to 100 people walking in the same direction away from me, as if going somewhere. I sensed their great reverence for the church and for the sacraments. God was their first love far and above all else, and their love for one another was without barriers. They were smiling and laughing as they talked and interacted with one another. The adults appeared to be in their late 20s to early 30s and were accompanied by a few children running around just being kids. The sky was extremely clear with no pollution, the clearest I'd ever seen it. Various plants were scattered to my far left and right, and the path disappeared into distant rolling hills covered in grass. All of creation, sky and land, was renewed with divine life. The peace of God, which lies beyond all human understanding and fulfills human longing, had been poured out upon the earth. I was seeing a future world where there is no sickness or pain, where life is much simpler and people live much longer than they do now. I noticed that the people's skin radiated in a way foreign to what we know. Everyone looked beautiful, healthier, and more luminous because of God's presence within them. There was no sign of makeup, hairspray, or revealing clothes. People walked around comfortably and in loose-fitting pants and tunics, which were light in color, different from any styles today. Nothing looked modern, and yet everything looked new. I distinctly remember one man at the tail end of the group, and he turned to look back at me and smiled warmly as though inviting me to hurry up and join them. He had a beard and semi-long hair. He resembled Jesus, but in the vision, I was not made to know who he was. Only when the vision ended did I realize the man was Jesus, guiding and shepherding his people into a new age of peace. He goes on to... Um, share these mystical experiences with the people around him. Um, he starts with his old uh, youth group leader. 
he calls her on the phone and he asks her what he thinks she what she thinks he should do with this information she says well of course you need to tell father jim about all of it and so he does he pours everything out to father jim and he can't help but cry because of the the horrible things that he's done in his life as well as the horrible things he's seen that will in, ensue upon the world soon and then he tells him about the wonderful things that he's seen as well and to his surprise and confusion father can't help but smile and he's he's going didn't you hear everything i just told you <laughs> and father nesbitt is his name looks at him and says i'm learning that god chooses whoever he will through you and i'm learning that of course god is going to reveal his glory to us and you're showing me how he's going to do that and i can't help but just be excited and so that very much encompasses what we should feel. Of course, we can get caught up in this uh, just trap of being despairing and disillusioned by all of this stuff going on, not knowing what can be true or what might be false. Maybe it's all false. We don't know. Sometimes, too, it's almost like things might look like they're happening in the world but maybe it's just hyped up so that it's more of a distraction than a truth and that's exactly what it is all of it is a distraction especially if it keeps you from believing in the true glory and power of god and and believing in his plan that it's the best thing for you no matter what and so we really do have to be careful not to get ourselves so worked up in the huge events happening all around the world, things we can't control, the tiny details of how are we going to prep, how are we going to prepare, are we going to be ready, when is the time. You have to rest in the knowledge that God is caring for you, that he cares about what happens to you, and that he's not going to tell all these wonderful saints all these mystics people like vince he's not going to tell them what's happening without having a safety plan in mind for the people who love him and so this testimony really helps us to remember that yes there's a lot of sad scary crazy things that await us but and that we're going through right now really but it shouldn't overpower or overshadow the fact that God has exactly what I just read to you. He's got that waiting for us on the other side of everything. And so I find that to be the most beautiful um, vision he has in this whole testimony. Later on, he he's advised by Father Jim to open up to his family as well, because at this point, his wife and his son Christian don't know about all the things that he's been seeing that God has revealed to him. He comes out to his wife and, and tells her what's going on. Everybody all but walks completely away from him. His marriage starts to crack and his son doesn't know what to think of him, is kind of embarrassed of it. His in-laws think he's crazy. The only people who really believe him <laughs> are his spiritual director, priest, and his former uh, youth group leader, 
and his mom. So, <laughs> yay. <laughs> Moms are always there for us, aren't they? And uh, none other than, of course, the best mom, uh, Mary. So this this is where Mary enters his life. Remember I told you that he's actually invited by strangers in a parking lot in this testimony twice uh, to go to Medjugorje. Well, he's coming out of his spiritual direction when he told Father Nesbitt about, you know, what had happened when he told his family about everything. When a woman comes from across the parking lot, she's holding out this pamphlet aggressively and she says, I need to tell you about this. I believe Mother Mary is uh, is appearing here and the culmination of all the messages she has given us throughout history are here in Medjugorje. So you should come. You should come with us. And <laughs> she hands him this pamphlet and he's like, okay, yeah, I'll think about that. <laughs> How can I not? <laughs> Feeling like he's got, you know, what, what do I have to lose? Because uh, actually between... Um, between him getting these visions and being invited to uh, Medjugorje again, his family makes a big move. Uh, they actually move across the state. And so he's starting his business all over again. Um, he lost his friends. Uh, he has to start seeing a new spiritual counselor who doesn't really believe him. Uh, and he's just going through a really difficult time. He's definitely relying on the Lord at this time and, and is feeling sort of that moment of wandering in the desert. And so he hops on a plane uh, to Medjugorje and he's feeling all this fear, like intense fear of flying. He's like, am I crazy? What am I doing? I shouldn't be going. Uh, this is going to be costing too much money. All these things going through his mind. But the plane takes off before he can act on it. And he doesn't sleep a wink his whole trip there. He's just in this, you know, this pit of his stomach feeling like he's done something wrong. And he, he lands in Medjugorje and um, he gets briefed by... Uh, their tour guide leader, and he's finally meeting the people in his group, this peace just comes over him and he can't even explain it. And then the next day and the next day and the next day, it's like he feels more at home in Magigoria than he ever felt on any other place on earth. And I hear this a lot about people who go to Magigoria saying that, um, you know, he, he's invited to Medjugorje twice and he feels Mary telling him, come to my place. Let me give you comfort. And then he feels it as soon as he gets on the ground, you know, boots hit the ground, boom, peace. And I think that's so beautiful because that's so how she works. She does not hesitate to fly to our assistance. The Holy Spirit, while he's in Medjugorje, it's very important to understand that Vince has had all of these visions that don't connect to each other, and he doesn't understand why it's happening. He's he's not even aware of really any other Marian apparitions or other types of mysticism that's happened in church history um, or in present day. So he reads this book about Medjugorje to prepare for this trip, and then he starts to learn that there's been so many different 
uh, locutionists and mystics throughout church history and in the world of recent history and present day. And everything starts to kind of come together. The Holy Spirit starts to connect all these dots, all these locutions and mystic experiences that he's had. Um, and how all of these things that Mary has been doing, they culminate in this place of Medjugorje. So it was a really big aha moment for him. Pilgrims, you know, he was, he was kind of... Um, in prayer a lot and witnessing a lot of miracles, but a lot of times he would have to seek solitude, even in this place, Medjugorje, because he'd just overhear a lot of the pilgrims who were, you know, inquiring with each other, what do you think the 10 secrets are? When do you think they're gonna happen? You know, trying to figure it out. And he said that he just wished he could say something because if they only knew how horrible they actually are some of them. They wouldn't even waste time to try and figure it out. They just get on their knees and pray and pray as hard as they possibly could. And so when I read that, I thought, wow, that's intense. Um, so prayer is so important. Don't speculate what's happening. When is it happening? You just need to pray. And sometimes that can feel futile, but it's not. And Vince will tell us why at the end of his testimony. But he's feeling the whole time while he's there, just this immense motherly maternal presence, like mother's gentle love comforting him. She has this soft touch, he said. And so many times it would move him to tears just being there, just to be in her presence. And you could tangibly feel it. And he said um, he actually didn't make any communication with his wife for seven days. <laughs> so she didn't know if he was okay or not. He would just call and she wouldn't be available. And so he said, my wife might not have known if I was alive or dead, but I was more alive than I ever felt in my life before. I made a friend. Her name was Loretta. And she was the owner of a Catholic bookstore back home. To, we spent the whole day in prayer together. We were going to confession, going to mass, spending adoration time, walking up the mountain and saying the rosary. We would, uh, we would talk and converse, and we would go off by ourselves. But the whole day, it was just beautiful. We could feel the Lord's presence, and he was showing himself and manifesting himself to us in so many different ways. He says, we were like two Catholic kids in a candy store of miracles, and the Lord presented himself to us all day long like a dad spoiling his kids on a field trip. No matter what we asked of Jesus, it appeared almost immediately. I wanted to ask a priest a question, and suddenly the priest approached us just to talk. Loretta said she was thirsty, and someone offered us a drink. We both wanted to see the miracle of the sun, and suddenly a lady cried out, Look, look at the sun! And I was staring directly into it without difficulty and watching it spin like a disc. A cross appeared in its center, like on a host, and then it began to spew out beautiful colors. On one side of this spinning disc, the light formed a red heart, which almost looked like a soft cloud, but with sharp edges. And on the other side, the exact replica, but in blue, symbols of the sacred heart of Jesus and the immaculate heart of Mary. But the greatest of all these graces 
was the time we spent that day in the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Bowing my head, I poured out my silent concerns to God, and I prayed for my marriage and my wife's conversion. I prayed to understand what the Lord was calling me to. When I looked up, I saw the host turn the color of blood and then began to beat like a human heart. When we left the adoration chapel, I took my rosary from my pocket and noticed that all the links of its silver chain had turned pure gold. Mother Mary and Jesus are trying to show him that he is loved, that he has a purpose, that he can find peace in them, and all these issues of anger and feeling rejected and um, feeling like he couldn't find any friend that would stick with him. All of those things, you can see how with just a few days in Medjugorje, Mary and Jesus are reversing those things. And, you know, they ask us to make reparation for the sins of a nation or sins that we've committed personally or, uh, you know, how they say that. They just say, make reparation. Well, that's what they do. You you can see that in all of these testimonies where people go to Medjugorje and they have this beautiful experience and all of their personal pains, their deepest wounds, they made reparation to him, you know? And so it's just very beautiful to see that they so intimately know exactly what we need to heal. And they want to show us that they love us so much, they would take the time to <laughs> give us any detail, any desire we want, and turn it into a reality, materialize it for us. And uh, I heard someone somewhere say, only in heaven or Medjugorje. <laughs> so it's really like heaven on earth. It's so beautiful. He gets on the plane to go home and he's shocked. He doesn't have any fear of flying, which is the complete opposite of how he felt coming to Medjugorje. When he gets back home, his marriage is a wreck. He starts to ask Jesus, reveal to me what I'm doing in my marriage that is poisoning it and show me how I can fix it. And so Jesus shows him that he's kind of taken his wife for granted. He hasn't really listened to her. He hasn't, you know, um, taken into account that her worries, her fears, and her um, experience in life are valid. And so, of course, they don't feel close to each other because he's never actually given her his full undivided attention or his heart. The next year <clears throat> is you know, everything is still in disarray. They're talking about divorce. And finally, he, in desperation, gets his uh, wife and his little boy on a plane, and they go to Medjugorje. And after seriously, almost jumping out of the car, and after two days of complaining while they were there, he says, Mary prevailed. His wife actually encounters an angel one day at mass, uh, this lady taps her on the shoulder while she's sitting there on a bench. And she turns around and she says, peace be with you in Croatian. And it just touched her 
the way this woman was so sincere and so loving and beautiful. And so she turns again to say thank you. And the lady's gone. And she says, to this day, she believes that that was absolutely an angel. As the pilgrimage continued, so did the graces. I could see the Lord working on my family, and the atmosphere of daily mass and prayer started to rub off on my wife and son. One night, as we were walking through a field after getting some ice cream, my son yelled out, Look at the light! Heather and I looked up in the direction where he was pointing, and sure enough, there was a light, soft and warm, in the shape of a cross. It was very high on the mountain, not Cross Mountain and not Apparition Hill, but a high place in between them. This is significant because there is no way to climb up to that area, which is rugged with rocks and overgrown brush. The light then began to float straight down the mountain without swerving, as a person would do. Two women behind us fell to their knees and began to pray. My family stopped and stood in awe, watching the light descend to the bottom and slowly disappear. Three days before we were to leave, Heather had already signed us up with no prodding from me to return to Medjugorje the same time next year. My wife went from telling me she wanted a divorce to complaining about going to Medjugorje and wondering why she was even there at all, to looking forward to returning as soon as possible. All of this change happened to her within one week, and it is Our Lady, the Queen of Peace in Medjugorje, whom my wife and I credit with saving our marriage. Heather eventually made her confirmation, became a mass coordinator and a member of the liturgical committee, as well as a member of our church pastoral council. She has volunteered to coordinate buses for the Walk for Life in San Francisco and has been giving her testimony to local parishes. He still receives messages to this day, and he's so thankful to Mary for all the graces that she's given him because he really needed that to get through a lot of these mystical encounters that he's had. It's been very hard for him because they aren't always beautiful, shiny, happy uh, visions. Oftentimes, they are pretty heavy. He's talked about how he had dreams about forced vaccinations, um, about people covering their faces and having the impression that they had to do this or they wouldn't be able to shop for food. And all these things have come to pass in the last couple years. So it's very interesting how he continues to um, see these visions that he's had manifest into real life. And it's not always the best thing that you want to happen. But he says, only by the grace of Mary can I watch these things unfold after waking up from what seems like a deep, dark nightmare that you can't shake. And once I wake up, now it's happening in the world. And only by her grace and her love and the love of Jesus and his presence can I live through this. <laughs> So it gives you an idea of what the seers all around the world must be feeling as well. You know, especially visionaries who get to spend time with or uh, personally and very intimately receive messages from our Lord or Our Lady. So the last vision that he had, it speaks very uh, intimately to how we need to pray for our countries. One of the last visions I received 
is the one I consider to be the most pivotal of all because an instruction given within the vision itself. And the instruction was not just for me, but for anyone who will listen. This indelible experience happened early 2015 in the middle of the night. I was asleep in bed with my wife when suddenly I was awakened. I sat up very quickly and I looked to my at the entrance of our bathroom. A joined to our bedroom was an enormous man. He was praying on both knees with his head lowered and his hands pressed together under his chin. Our vaulted ceilings are about 13 feet tall. Even so, the back of his head grazed the ceiling. So the size of this creature when standing would have been at least 25 feet tall. His white ankle-length garment also glimmered with gold and a solid gold-colored sash wrapped around his waist. His hair was a color in between blonde and light brown, and his feet, also very large, but in proportion with the rest of his body, were strapped in brown bronze woven sandals. I could plainly see a cut or bruise on his upper left cheek, and while his garment was beautiful, it was discolored and soiled from what appeared to be wounds underneath the fabric. He looked extremely sad and tired. I was startled, to say the least, not only by his presence in my room, but by the sheer size of him. I jumped out of bed and quickly reached in my night drawer to grab the firearm I keep in my room for protection. No sooner did I point the weapon in this creature's direction when he turned his head and looked at me, saying, Please, don't do that. At these words, a great calm came over me. I lowered the weapon to my side and just stared at him. His face was gentle as were his eyes, but he stood and appeared heavy-hearted. He then said, tell the people to pray the chaplet of the divine mercy every day and to offer it in reparation for the sins committed by the United States. Then he was gone. My wife slept through the whole thing. In the days that followed, through contemplation and prayer, I was shown that this man was the guardian angel of the United States, and he is losing the battle for our country. To Satan and his demons, our prayers specifically the one he requested strengthen not only the angel of the U.S., but the angels who are with him. He is petitioning us for help. I came to understand that we empower the angels through our prayers, just as we empower the demons with our sins. While our sins and indifference open the doors to devils, and their curses, our prayers and petitions open the doors to God's blessing and his strength. We are in desperate need of prayer and penance, of sacrifices for love of God that give way to waterfalls of grace. May we surrender all that we are and all that we have to Jesus before the day of justice arrives. Woe to those who would take this period of mercy for granted and put off their conversion, thinking that they can wait until the last hour. To grow in holiness can only come by way of God's grace and mercy, and to grow in holiness takes time, and that time for grace and mercy is now. The Diary of St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, Jesus Speaks Let all mankind recognize my unfathomable mercy. It is a sign for the end of times. After it will come the day of justice. While there is still time, let them have recourse to the fount of my mercy. Let them profit from the blood and water which gushed forth for them. That is Vince Segala's testimony, and by far my favorite in the entire book. By far the most 
packed full with mystical experiences and even a, an understanding of how our prayer is so important and how it's like an umbilical cord. Without that cord, you get no nutrients. You have no way to get oxygen into your body. You can't grow. You can't change. You can't live. So if we sever that cord with heaven, we are not going to grow. We're not going to change. We're not going to live. We're not going to breathe. Reading that really helped me to understand that, yes, prayer is important. It's not just a waste of time. It's not just saying words into the nothingness. A two-way communication system. And not only that, it's a way to grow in holiness. So some group questions. So how does the last vision Vince shares in this chapter speak to you? How do you offer up for the sins of the world or your country? And how will this vision call you to action to help the angel of your home country? And second question is Vince sees many prophetic visions of future events in correlation to Revelation and the seven seals. In what ways are you witnessing these seals being currently opened or approaching? Also, twice, Vince was invited by strangers to Medjugorje. So how did he, his family's experience and his personal experience there speak to you? I like that um, fact about that angel, you know, that he was so, he was so big, yet he, he's asking us who are so small that our prayers can actually help him. Yeah, you know, you don't. <clears throat> I, I don't. You know, I don't. I guess I don't. I don't really think that my prayers matter. But I guess, in right. a sense, they truly do. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of times, I sit there and you know, when I pray, it's like a lot of times I'll say, "It's like you know, what difference does my prayer make?" But I mean, yeah. here we have have an angel that's sitting there and that's, you know, and that's just saying, you know, that we have to pray and it makes a difference. That just like, just blows me away because I never realized that, you know, I didn't think that, you know, I don't think that my prayers make that much of a difference. You know what I mean? It's like, I'll, I'll sit there and even say, God, you know, how does my prayer make any difference? But I guess it really does because we don't really know, you know? Does that make sense? It it sure does. I think we have all been there. I know I have where it's just, even while I'm praying, I'm sort of thinking, does this have any consequence? Like, is this just me saying words, you know? Um and sometimes I'm focused on trying to read it right or say it right or, right. <laughs> you know, you know, so, but I think that that's part of living in a fallen world is you can't see the real effect of prayer. You can't see the real effect that you've had on other people. Um, very rarely does somebody like Vince Sagala come along and he's given this gift of mysticism and he can, but even then an angel had to reveal it to him. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, I don't understand. 
understand, I guess, why for us that's such a hard concept to grasp. But it is part of this veil of tears that we can't we can't see it. So therefore, it oftentimes doesn't feel like it has any consequence to things that happen. But time and time again, we're reminded by Our Lady, pray, pray, pray. And St. Michael says the same thing. Pray, people of God, pray. <laughs> and then right. this angel is coming to him saying, please, I'm losing this fight. I don't have you with me. I need your prayers for strength. How amazing is that? Yeah, that we yeah, can that's strengthen. That's what I'm saying. An yeah, angel. I have, yeah. I have a much easier time believing that of course, my sins are going to strengthen demons. I don't have a problem believing that. Right. But, but it's just. Way, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But if, so it's like, how can, my, how can my. Right. How can my, my little menial prayer mean anything or have that much of an impact? But if we all think that way, then, you know, then it would be fruitless. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, so we shouldn't right. think that way. We should be thinking that, you know, our prayers are. I've read many times where people have said that, you know, that our prayers are like little, these little sh shots of light, you know, that go up and 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 God sees them and he he hears he hears all our prayers. We just don't think about it. You know what I mean? Because we're just so small. But that's that just brought tears to my eyes. I mean, listening to that and thinking of that. And I'm like, wow. Now, I mean, I know during the course of the day, I, I try to play the divine mercy. I try to have that on just for for sanity, you know, because there's really nothing I really want to watch on television to be truthful. Not a whole <laughs> lot. <clears throat> you know, I mean, so, <laughs> so I, I figured, you know, if I can get myself into that mode you know, that I find myself during the course of the day, even just sitting down, just, you know, praying it once or twice, and then come the time of, of mercy, you know, at three o'clock, then I yeah. really try to sit down and, and pray it at that moment. But yeah, that was, that was pretty powerful. Thank you, Courtney. Of course. Yeah, it is. And I, I often hear that, you know, of course, prayers, uh, prayer, you know, like, uh, listening to the hours of the passion by Luisa Pecoretta uh, of the divine will, like the graces that come with that are that souls will be saved just from you reading that or listening to it, you know? So I've heard that a lot where your prayers or something you can do like that will save souls. But yeah, this is like the first time I've ever heard it this way that, literally the angels need you know we strengthen them with our prayers that's incredible um i joined this group um i was actually invited by a friend of mine and they're focusing on prayer and it was the second time we met we're going to meet for six weeks. So we met for the second time today. And I just thought I'd share with you, uh, y'all, what we kind of talked about today. And I think um, 
it says, why do we pray? Well, we pray for forgiveness, closeness to God, and to be friends with God. Um, I think the thing that prayer does for us and it, is it it gives us our time to be with God and to become his friend, and reading the Bible and uh, not just, you know, going to church, but, and that's important too, but um, you only go to church every so often, so most people can't go every day. So how else do you create a relationship with him? And in order to be a friend with God, just like being a friend with everyone of you, you're not going to be my friend unless I know a little bit about you and you know a little bit about me. And we spend time together getting to know each other. So in other words, our prayer life with God is getting to know him. And the other thing we emphasized on a lot today was how much Jesus prays. When you look at the New Testament and you're reading the Gospels and you're reading uh, how the disciples would, you know, always be saying, well, there he goes again, off by himself. What's he doing? And something that hit me today that I never really thought about was throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, God is constantly teaching us how to be like him. And in that, in so doing that, when he's teaching us, Jesus is teaching those that are watching him, this is how you talk to the Father, through watching him pray. And finally, they come to him and they say, teach us this, teach us how to pray this. And it hit me. It's like, they didn't know. And I know it's crazy to think that, but they didn't know how to do it. And right. so what did he say? I, it just hit me. I'm like, wow, I didn't even, it, it, I never imagined they didn't know how to really pray. <laughs> I don't know. It, it, maybe some of them did, but most of these men were, and women, you know, they weren't, a lot of them weren't real educated, you know. Uh, well, I, I think a few yeah, of them didn't even know how to read. That's such a good point. And not only that, but they, you know, um, the reason why we see the, the uh, in the Bible, Lord in all caps, it's a filler for when they would address God by his name, Yahweh, but they would abbreviate it. And nobody was allowed to say the Lord's name. So you go from... Um, basically knowing that you can't even call the Lord by his name to following someone who is his son says you need to speak like this to the father so not only are mm. you now taking that rule away but you're making it an intimate relationship you have with this God and that's why Jesus flips everything upside down he takes it from someone you can't even speak his name to. He's your intimate father. And that's right. such a good 
point <laughs> because yeah, yeah he did have to teach them because they didn't understand well here's this uh jesus who is half i mean god's his father and he's half human and he's praying all the time and i think that in itself tells us everything right there tells you that's how important prayer is and how do we communicate with god how do we get to know him and talk to him we have to pray and well he's not he's fully human and fully god he's still right. fully god but he has to pray <laughs> right so yeah yeah i think it's amazing uh really good points that you bring up and i loved to how uh you said earlier um shoot it was just on the tip of my tongue now i, I forgot it <laughs> you said something earlier about um how you pray why oh, do yeah, we yeah. pray you said you said For you know we pray to get to know god well we pray to get to know yeah. god right well i i heard somewhere that you cannot love what you do not know it's impossible right. if you don't Absolutely. know someone if you don't know the neighbor down the street maybe you know her name is jennifer but you don't know her as a person how can you possibly love that person when you don't mm -hmm. know that person you know um likewise if you don't know something you can be afraid of it because you don't know it so there's mm -hmm. two you know sharp edges mm. to that sword so mm. i like how you brought that up too it's such a good point well here's something else for you that was kind of cool is i forget what they called these i thought i wrote it down but i don't acrostics i believe uh so you put prayer or pray sorry p-r-a-y so p means praise R is repentance, receive his forgiveness. A is ask for ourselves, others, pour out your heart. And I don't know, I got thank God in the the why. I'm not sure. I think I missed something there. Sorry, y'all. Um, and then the other one is acts. So A would mean adoration, praise him. C, confess your shortcomings, your imperfections to him. T, thanksgiving for challenges and blessings and sorrows. And, uh, and the reason we say, why would we thank him for our sorrows <laughs> and our challenges? Well, honestly, when we're at that lowest point, who do we usually go to? <laughs> and it also... Um, helps us to grow as human beings it be be uh, humbles us it um, brings us back down to uh, where we look at hey we're not our own god um, we need a god uh, and the last one was something that i don't think a whole lot about and so that was pretty cool supplication um, we want to bring blessings upon our family and our friends and kind of a pretty name there that we don't think much about 
So those were just some of the things that we shared today and thought I'd share them with you. Um, hope it yeah, helps a little bit. Yeah, those are wonderful. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's important to know why we pray because, yeah, it, it just, it can get to the point where you're not really seeing anything change or you're seeing things get worse. Like right now, you know, you look at the headlines and in less than two minutes, you could just get depressed. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, you know, but your prayer, maybe your prayer life is increasing. And yet all these things keep happening in in more and more frequency. And you're going, okay, well, I guess that means nothing. But it (laughs) it does. It does mean Mm -hmm. everything. So I love that. Yeah, I love that Vince's testimony uh, addresses that. And that's why I love his testimony because of so many reasons, but he addresses so many things because he comes from, uh, you know, he's just a humble, uh, real person who has thoughts like we do and um, is just trying to put these puzzle pieces together. He's just trying to figure out what is it, why is God doing this to me and what does he want me to say about it? So, yeah. Did anybody go ahead? Sorry, I was just gonna throw in there something that I always it it just is such a neat thing to see. Like, I think it's somewhere in his testimony, Vincent said, Why in the world would he use me? And the priest, I think, looks at him and smiles because we, when you look into God's history with us he always uses someone who you would never think he'd use (laughs) yeah he does it's kind of trademark (laughs) (laughs) it kind of is i mean he takes moses for example you know and and the funny thing about moses that i think is is worth saying is moses was the perfect tool for him. Why? Because Moses was raised Egyptian. He was raised in all their ways. Um, So, you know, that's a tool for God to use, you know. Um, It's funny how he became an an Egyptian, right? And so those were just, and, and watching God work, and we're so lucky to be able to, I, I say luck, but it, fortunate to be able to look into his and read those stories of how he works. And the whole story of Moses in particular is just an amazing story. I think how God uses him, you know, to bring the people back home. But yet now he messes up and doesn't get to go with them. But, you know. <laughs> 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 we kind of mess up, don't we? <laughs> we do. um, yeah, I, I think that's a really great point, too. And it kind of goes into one of these personal reflection questions that um, I might just share something really quick. Vince mentions that God was speaking directly to him when he reads Isaiah 48. And later he fulfills that promise. Um that that scripture uh, gives. 
So when has God ever, ever spoken directly to you through scripture? Uh, can you remember the verse or, but I can't remember the, you know, exact verses, but what I love about the more I've invested time into my Bible, the more I see these thumbprints, these trademarks and yes, God uses people over and over again who are messy people. <laughs> it's not a flattering uh, biography <laughs> of anyone, <laughs> but you know, that just lends to its truth so much more, you know, mm -hmm. um, they're not glorifying anything except God in the Bible, really. Even Moses that they really love, they, you know, um, they, there are things he did wrong and they want to explain that in fullness so that we don't do that same mistake. Mm -hmm. But what I love most about the Bible and when the Bible speaks at me the most is when I see these parallels between Jesus and everything else that happens in the Bible, the way Moses is saved as a, an infant from infanticide. Well, mm -hmm. Christ was saved from infanticide as well. The way that mm -hmm. um, he delivers the people from slavery and Christ delivers us from sin, the way that he baptizes the nation of Israel going through the Red Sea and Jesus institutes baptism, you know, um, you know, mm -hmm. it's just amazing all the ways that God, you look at that and you finally understand that's what he's saying to me when I really start mm -hmm. to understand scripture is I have a perfect plan, absolutely perfect. And once I see stuff like that, I go, okay you got this. <laughs> I don't know what, what I'm supposed to be doing for you, but you got this. So I'm going to go ahead and trust it. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I think uh, something that I know worries me is when I see, when I re you know, look out there and see what's happening in this country and in our country in particular. And I think to myself, you know, this country has been so wealthy and had so much for so long. And right now, right where I am sitting, because I know in other places in the world, we don't all have such a beautiful home and we it's not just ours we might have to share it with a lot of people and it it may just be uh something over our heads in other places and to be able to go in and just put my glass into uh the filtered water and drink as much as i want anytime i want turn the heat up if i'm cold you know <laughs> I can go on and on, but it, these are things that are just, I think we've forgotten that uh, there are a lot of people out there that even in our own country right here, I just met a woman last week that uh, came to CR and she said, yeah, I'm homeless. I'm living in my car. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's yeah. horrible. Uh, right here in my town. And I didn't know about her, you know, and, and so it's just a, you know, I don't want to lose that comfort. Right. And I, right. I know that's sad to say, but it's the truth. I don't want to lose what I have because some people are screwing up out there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, no, I'd say they're pretty successful in their plans to, you know, ruin the world, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's, it is, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to praise God, even in the struggles or in the impending struggle. You know, we have a question here about the seven seals and what ways are you witnessing these seals being currently opened or approaching? And I mean, every day it's just seeming like it's closer and closer and it's true. You know, you can expect that your comforts are going to be taken away. Um, you're going to be put through a lot. And I don't think that any of us are ready for that. But um, again, you know, one thing I've learned through scripture is uh the people who praised him in the storm were the people that he exalted and helped the most you know the people who complained uh <laughs> he didn't like that very much but he still he still was patient with them but you know they didn't they, they missed out on so much blessing and they missed out on knowing his heart like you look at again we'll talk about Moses but uh, you look at how they were when they were wandering in the desert and you know it really wasn't meant to be that long of a process it was only supposed to last about a year but it turned into mm -hmm. a lifetime because they Generation. were so ungrateful <laughs> they were yeah they were so ungrateful they were you know they didn't have any trust after all the things they'd seen and here, you know, we haven't seen much, most of us. We haven't seen physical signs or mystic experiences like Vince has or like right. the Medjugorje, the seers have. But we just need to learn from their mistakes and know that when the tough times come, you've got to praise God even in that tough time. And uh, one saint put it, really well she said it really clicked for me when uh i can't remember who it is i'm sorry guys but she said it really sunk in how to suffer for jesus when i realized that i only have this body for so long and after that i can't offer anything to him mm. you know what wow. i mean Mm -hmm. And that really put it into perspective for me was I only have so long with this body that mm -hmm. aches and gets sick and <laughs> needs <laughs> comforts. And I can only deprive myself of those things for him in love for so long. And I thought, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Thank you, Jesus, <laughs> because I struggle with that one. But, um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that.
does anybody else have anything they would like to add about um the seven seals or anything that um like uh vince's medjugorje experiences or um the call to prayer for the world right now well i'd just like to say thank you everybody for being here tonight i think this what we're doing right here is definitely a step in the right direction that we're on the right path because we're spending time with jesus right now and the family of god just being here together and learning these things and everything that we do that has things to do with god in our life is i believe just one like he said it gives strength to all of heaven and i for one truly believe if you believe in the resurrection that they're up there fighting for us we need to fight for them too and and uh and it's just been fun just getting to uh, as a catholic anyway it, it's nice to be able to get to know who these saints are and these angels and um got a lot of power up there fighting for us absolutely and um like this testimony teaches us we we wield so much power we have no idea and the potential you know when jesus said when jesus said um if you only had the faith of a mustard seed the things that you could do and so (laughs) i guess that shows us how much faith we have (laughs) but we're trying little faith ye of little faith (laughs) but you're right we're trying and we're here and um we're listening we're trying to grow and uh i guess we're trying to believe in that power and i -hmm. think it's not that we don't believe in jesus i think it's that we don't believe in ourselves and the power that he's willing to give us through our abandonment to him you know Mm -hmm. i think that's essentially what it is so we gotta start believing that angel's telling us we need you (laughs) you know the other day when when i was reading about the truckers and all of georgia truckers and tennessee truckers south carolina north carolina truckers they're all going north to help canada and guess what we're not going to have any food on the shelf (laughs) No, I'm thinking, 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 I'm but I just yeah. got a calmness over me, and it, and and this one verse in the Bible came to me. Do you don't think that I'll will? Does you, does God not take care of the birds? Does He not take care of the animals? He will provide for you. 
stop worrying about it. And I'm, and I'm like, I don't need to go to the store. <laughs> I got a freezer full of meat down there. I mean, you know. <laughs> nah, yeah, I know what you mean. It's so easy to fall into that trap of that immediate. And what I think is it's an immediate gut reaction. It's like that survival instinct, right? You get mm-hmm. the news and then you go into fight or flight. And some people really ride the fight part and the flight part and then other people go you know what it's okay and that's what that's what god does he's an antidote to our human responses in every way and what Mm -hmm. it's called is a passion so our passions our passion of that need to survive you know we have to fight these things and we have to that's what he's meaning when he says die to yourself and pick up your cross and follow me you know that's so, what father schmidt and it, yeah father schmidt said that at the end of uh one of his bible lessons today he mm-hmm. said it's hard for us to pick up our cross so keep praying for one another give us strength and and he keeps saying over and over in this bible in a year of just how broke we are we're so broke and throughout the whole history of mankind, from the moment Adam and Eve, you know, made the first mistake, it's just been a broken family, a broke, you know, broken friendships, broken family, all the way through history. Um, and we're just scratching the surface of it, you know, in Genesis, but, you know, it's so true. And that's and God, he's up there figuring, trying to figure out how am I going to fix this? You know, (laughs) well, what's so awesome is that even when the like right at the moment, I don't know if it was before. I don't know if it was at the moment of the fall, but he had it all figured out like in the blink of an eye and knew exactly what he was going to do and had the already had the promise of the Redeemer and the co-redemptrix at the, that moment. So and that really being said, an awesome, think, powerful God. <laughs> well, think about that. If, if he already had it planned out from the moment that he walks up and asks Adam and Eve, why are you hiding from me? He's got it all figured out, right? But when you look at how in the Old Testament, of all the things that he has to teach the lessons over and over and over and over again with Abraham and and, and uh, Sarah and you know Isaac and and Rebecca and <laughs> and you know so many times over again, right? <laughs> He's trying to teach us. <laughs> Does that make sense? I mean, <laughs> he, he's trying to teach us that he has a plan over and over again. He, he's trying to teach us how to live right. And, and if you'd ever notice when every story in the Bible, okay, this is what I notice anyway. In every story that you read about someone, or the Abraham and and Isaac and uh, Joseph, okay, and their wives. They're always going off on their own instead of talking to God first and doing what they think's right. 
and it becomes a huge quagmire that ends up being a horrible thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, maybe I'm getting too deep here, but <laughs> no, no, you're right. You are right. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely true. And we continue to do that today. And that was the original sin was, you know, just doing something that God advised us not to do and letting that, that thought of, well, I guess it's that little seed of doubt. Does God really, you know, is he really going to be upset if I do this or you know, does he really not want me to eat this fruit? Does he really, you know, it's that deceiver. And he he makes these subtle arguments that make so much sense in the moment, right? But mm -hmm. um, when you're thinking back on it or when you're reading about it in scripture going, yikes, <laughs> why did you guys do that? You know, it, it's so much more clear. And that's ultimately what God is, is just this, He's out of time. He can see everything with such clarity because he's not mm. in time. You know, he's omnipotent. He's everywhere and he's not of time. So he understands things in a way that we would understand tomorrow or 30 years from now, not at the moment of the decision. <laughs> so it is amazing. And so. the beautiful thing about every mistake is he turned it into something good. Absolutely. He is a good, good God, a good, good father. And with that, I would love to end tonight with a prayer of abandonment. So if everybody would join me in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, I abandon myself to your hands. Do with me what you will, whatever you may do, I thank you. I am ready for all, and I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creatures. I wish no more than this, O oh Lord. Into your hands I commend my soul. I offer it to you with all the love of my heart. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I would just suggest to anybody out there who's listening, if you are having a serious problem right now with overstimulation when it comes to um, all the headlines out there, uh, how am I going to prepare myself? How am I going to save my family? How am I going to convert that person? If you're just caught in all this anxiety, um, the app Hallow is a fantastic app it's got many guided meditations it's got psychological help on there it's got um when when i say psychological help uh there's a lot of anxiety uh topics on there and it also has this novena of abandonment on it and i highly recommend that for you because I was going through a time this summer where my whole world got flipped upside down. <laughs> we literally <laughs> found out that my husband's getting a new job after being somewhere for four years and we have to move state lines, which is an ordeal with two little kids. 
and we were buying our first house ever and there were just so many things up in the air we didn't know where my husband was going to live for quite a while and uh, we had to buy a house pretty much online <laughs> so I should have been freaking out the whole time but as my mom can attest to you and she's here tonight um, <laughs> uh, I had an immense peace about me and I can only attribute that to two things. First was this novena of abandonment on Hallow. And the second was St. Joseph guiding me and helping me the whole way. Uh, you know, he really, um, he really has shown me his power and it being the uh, year of St. Joseph last year, I don't think it was any accident that he <laughs> kept coming into to play there. So, I just ask that you guys take a look at it and uh, see if maybe there's something on that app that would really help you because this is a time right now that we are so caught up in a, a, just a whirlwind of information. It's an onslaught and it can really um, make you depressed, make you feel hopeless, make you feel powerless. But as we just learned tonight, you're not powerless. You have a lot of power. And there's a father that's just asking you to abandon yourself to him. And once you do that, you open yourself up for immense graces that are going to carry you through this. So do not worry. Uh, do not be despairing. There's a lot of hope. We just got to. We just got to let the Father help us. And that's essentially his message everywhere you look. So <laughs> with that, God bless all of you. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm going to hang out for just a few minutes if anybody needs to ask a question. or. Thanks, Courtney. That you was are awesome. welcome. God bless you, Courtney. Thank you for doing this. Hello, you two. Um, I'm Rose. Just want to Hello. say, I, I've been popping in Hello. and out. <laughs> I'm just looking after grandchildren, kind of. And um, so, but the, the small, small amount of time, I, I missed most of it. But what I did here was wonderful and enlightening and um, very, very encouraging. And uh, we just kind of need that encouragement every day of our lives, don't we? So yes. I thank you, ladies, yes. so much for your for your input, your contributions, your preparation. And it's really wonderful that we have this community and um, I'll be frankly be lost without it because I've moved away from home a couple of years ago from my uh, a great uh, community of Catholic friends, which I no longer have. And, um, but I, I now I have found a new, <laughs> new community. So thank you. Awesome. That's it for me. Awesome. <laughs> I have to go swimming well, now so with the grandkids. <laughs> All right. Have fun. Thank you so much for being with us. And and I'm so glad that you found this group. I I echo all the things you just said about it. It's been glorious yeah, for me too. It's great for, for everyone. I think everyone gets something out of it, but no matter how great or small. And um yeah, just 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 you know, people on the same page that you, you just think you, Sometimes you think no one understands the way I think, but we do know that <laughs> there are people out there that um, think the same way and and uh, have the same, um, yeah, um, well, hopes and fears mm -hmm. and 
and joys and uh, and and faith, but sometimes, you know, we're lagging a bit there, and we get it re-energized re and re-encouraged every day on this within this group. So, um, and there are lots of us, like hundreds, aren't there? You know, but um, I do have the book, The Warning, but it's a while since I read it, so um, I need to revisit those testimonies because they are wonderfully, uh, you know, enlightening, aren't they? They mm -hmm. sure are. Um, just, yeah. I mean, I've read the book maybe four times now <laughs> because I led a couple Bible studies, this one and another one, and every single time I get something even yeah. better out of it. So, yeah, it's great. Well, you have a wonderful day. God bless you, too. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.